last two weeks, we have been studying some of the biggest themes in Bible prophecy. And we have come to the point where we can step back and finally look at the big picture. We have already looked at the central points in Revelation chapters 12, 13, and 14. And the reason we spent a lot of time in those chapters is because if you get that stuff, then you can go to the rest of the book and you can figure out the, the big picture. You can figure out the rest of what prophecy is saying. Last Tuesday night, we looked at Revelation 13, where we saw this strange-looking beast that crawls out of the ocean. And if you remember, we compared it to Daniel chapter 7, where we, we had this little horn, and we made an amazing discovery. The beast is not a communist. It's not an atheist. The Bible was actually pointing the finger at us the Christian church of the Middle Ages. It was talking about the marriage of church and state that took place as Christianity headed into the Dark Ages. It was talking about a powerful global church that tragically found itself at odds with the Bible, even to the point of tampering with God's laws. It wasn't good news obviously, but fortunately for us, that was not the end of the story. In the pages of a Bible prophecy, God reveals a very distinct plan to undo all the damage we did when we started compromising. And that is what we are going to look at today. The question I have for you and I today is where in the world is God's last day movement. Who are these people and how do we find them? We're going to start looking today in Revelation chapter 12. Let's begin reading verses 1 and 2. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars, and then, being with child, she cried out in labor and, and in pain to give birth. Do you remember in Bible prophecy what a woman represents? A church, yes, God's people or a church. And who is this child that the people, God's people are waiting for? Absolutely, it's Jesus. As the scenes open in Revelation 12, we find a woman who is waiting for Jesus from the very moment when Adam and Eve sinned all the way down to the, through the garden. From the very moment God gave us the very first prophecy in the Bible. We, remember what God said to the serpent? Genesis 3.15. He says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You know, I got to think that the devil was feeling pretty good with himself right after he convinced Adam and Eve to sin. Look what I've done. God wouldn't give me a kingdom in heaven, but now I've gotten one here. I've just made the whole human race turn its back on God, and then he hears God say these words, Satan, the Messiah is coming to destroy you. The seed of the woman will crush your head, and that made Satan panic. 
and he went to work against the whole human race. My friends, God always has a faithful remnant, a group of people who will not be swayed by the lies of the devil, a group of people who will not compromise. Listen to the final warning that God gives us in Revelation chapter 18, beginning with verse 1. After these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lighted with his glory. This is a global message. It lights up the whole world. Bible continues, and he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and is become the inhabitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For the nations had drank the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication. With her and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And I heard another voice from heaven, heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you may not be partakers of her sins and that you receive not of her plagues. Do you see what this Bible text is saying? It's saying in the last days, God's people are in Babylon. And it's saying that they need to come out of Babylon because God's people will not compromise. God's people will stand alone if necessary, just like Abraham did. And we've already seen how Abraham was set apart from everyone else. He was willing to obey God. Do you remember Genesis 26, 5? It says, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. My friends, exactly the same thing is going to happen in the last days. Revelation chapter 14 says, God has a uh, uh, has people have the faith of Jesus and they keep the commandments of God. And it turns out God has always been looking for the same thing. He is looking for people who love him enough that will do what he asks. People who are unwilling to compromise and are willing to take a stand on Bible truth. So God took Abraham and he raised up an entire nation, the people of Israel, who kept the commandments of God and prepared the world for Jesus to come. Listen to what God expected from the children of Israel. Deuteronomy 11.1 1 says, Therefore you shall love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statue, his judgment, and his commandments always. You see, God expected Abraham's children to be like Abraham. Just, just look at where God placed Israel on the map. He placed them right at the crossroads of the ancient world, the best place in the world to spread the message. If you went from just about anywhere to somewhere else, you had to travel right through the land of Israel. People from all over the planet could see the temple and its sacrifices, and they could ask questions what it meant. They could hear about the prophecies. They could learn about a God, that God is love, and that he has an amazing solution for a world lost in sin. 
Back in the days of Israel, God's people had a job of preparing the world for Jesus to come, just like God's people in the last days. But the devil saw what was happening. He saw very clearly what God was doing, and he tried to, to destroy it. He had the Israelites compromise with the Babylonian religion. He had them worshiping Baal. And then they started offering their children as sacrifices to pagan idols. And, the, and he led the children of Abraham away from God. Listen to what Nehemiah says is the reason Israel had to go into captivity. Nehemiah 9.16 says, But they and our fathers acted proudly, hardening their heart necks, and did not heed your commandments. This is what it boils down to. Israel was breaking God's commandments. The book of Jeremiah tells us that they even refused to keep the Sabbath. So God allowed Nebuchadnezzar to come and to sack the temple and to burn the city. And it's as, it's as if God was saying, if you don't want me, if you'd rather have Babylon, I'm not going to stand in your way. I'm not going to force you to be my people. And honestly, he says the same thing today. If you don't want to be part of my kingdom, I'm not going to force you in. And if you don't want to be part of his last day remnant people, he's not going to force that either. So Israel went into captivity, Babylonian captivity, for more than a generation. And then the Bible tells us that they came out, or at least some of them came out. After 70 years, some of the people said, hey, we kind of like living here in Babylon, so we're just going to stay here. And they never came back home. But the remnant of God's people did come back. Micah 5, 7 says, Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass. You see, God was going to raise up another remnant people, and he placed them in the midst of many people, right back in the center of the world, and the devil saw what God was doing again. And again, he didn't like it one little bit, so he attacked God's people again. But this time, instead of convincing God's people to worship pagan idols, he decided to attack in the opposite direction. This time, he decided to make sticklers of their religion so that they would miss the point of it. This time, he developed some hard-nosed religious sects like the Pharisees, who consider themselves the, the keepers and the police of the faith. This time, God's people didn't exactly break the law. Instead, they went overboard, and they actually perverted the law. Instead of encouraging compromise, they added so much tradition to the moral law that you could not even recognize the law anymore. The law used to be a reflection of God's character, the loving character of God, but now it was buried under so much tradition that God's people couldn't see God anymore. In fact, tradition became the most important thing. We are told that the religious rulers during this day invented more than 600 extra rules just to make sure that nobody even came close to breaking God's law. 
So it goes from 10 to over 600. They added so many rules and regulations that people began to resent the Sabbath. And it's at this point in time that Jesus comes in person to set the record straight. The God who spoke the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai came to show us what God is really like. And listen carefully to what Jesus said. He said in Mark 7, verse 9, All too well you reject the commandments of God that you may keep your tradition. What have you done, Jesus says? You have pushed God's commandments aside in favor of your traditions. And I know it's easy for us to pick on the Pharisees because they seem like this anonymous group that lived a long time ago. But our generation has done the exact same thing. We have also replaced God's laws with human tradition. It is absolutely nothing new. Our generation is just as guilty as theirs, but God has always had a remnant. And in Jesus' day, he had 12 disciples, and that little group of 12 disciples managed to take this gospel to the whole known world. Do you know what the Bible calls that little group, that little New Testament church? He calls them a remnant. It's the same word God used for Israel. We find it in Romans 11, 5. It says, even so then, at this present time also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. At every critical juncture in human history, God has always had a remnant. It's a concept that you see all the way through Bible prophecy, and it's still there today. And in the final moments before Jesus comes, the final days, he will still have a remnant. And of course, the devil saw what was happening, and he tried to stop the early Christian church. Revelation 12, 13 says... Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. The devil failed to stop Jesus. In fact, he can no longer touch Jesus today because Jesus is in heaven. So he hits the church with everything he's got. And he brought down the wrath of the pagan Roman Empire on God's people. He tossed Christians to the lions. He burned them at the stake. He used death. He used torture. He used force. And out of the 12 original disciples... Only one of them died a natural death. The devil tried to stop out the church. He did everything he could to silence the word of God, but he failed. Because in every chapter of salvation's history, God always has a remnant. And the big picture, the big question right now is whether or not you will be part of God's remnant, God's last day remnant movement. That's the decision that each of us are faced with. In fact, that's the whole reason you've been coming to these these seminars right now. 
It's not an accident that you're here. That's not the way God works. God has called you because he has seen your heart and he hopes that you'll say yes. <clears throat> the first century remnant, the early Christian church, quickly became a mighty force across the whole Roman Empire. And the devil was failing, so he decides he needed to come up with another plan. Instead of persecuting the church that didn't work, he decides to try something else. He says, if you can't beat them, join them. And so the devil moved right into the Christian church so that he can change it from the inside out. Suddenly we have this Roman emperor who supposedly converts to Christianity and the persecution stops. And beginning in the heart of the empire, in the city of Rome, the church begins to compromise. And thanks to the influence of an emperor, that particular version of Christianity becomes the most influential force on planet Earth. And we should have seen it coming. Because it was all predicted for us in Daniel 7 and Revelation 13. Over time, as the Roman version of Christianity grew, they began to force their way of thinking on the rest of the world. Just a few years after his supposed conversion, Constantine passed a law that made the observance of Sunday, the first day of the week, mandatory for all Christians. This is what the law said. On the vulnerable day of the sun, let the magistrates and the people residing in cities rest and let all the workshops be closed. And in 364, at the Council of Laodicea, the church followed Constantine's lead and made Sunday observance mandatory for everyone. Now you've got to ask yourself, why would they need a law to enforce Sunday worship 300 years after Christ? It's because there were Bible-based Christians who were still keeping the Sabbath. They knew what their Bible said, and they knew that the Bible never mentions a change. And it was shortly after this that we go into the Dark Ages and the Little Horn's power of 1,260 years begins. And now life is very, very difficult for the people who want to live by God's word. And suddenly you have two women, two very different churches. On one hand, you've got the pure woman who, who has been waiting for the Messiah, and then the Bible predicts another one, and she is very different. Revelation 17, starting in verse 3, is where we find her. And it says, And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which has full, uh, which, was, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Now let's look carefully at this description. It should be familiar to you. This is the beast of Revelation 13. The description is the same. The only difference now is there is a woman sitting on its back. And according to Bible prophecy, what is a woman? 
a church. So this is a church, and this is a church that is committing blasphemy. And if you remember what blasphemy is, it is claiming to have the authority of God himself. Let's continue reading. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a cup, golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornications. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, abominations of the earth. So here we have this woman, which, which we know is a church. So really we have a church, and the Bible calls this church Babylon. And she is the mother of harlots, which means, of course, that this is the mother church, and she has many daughters who follow her example. Now, the Bible makes it absolutely clear who this woman is Revelation 17, 9 says, Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. Now tell me, does this world have a church that sits on seven hills? Yes, we do. It, and just in case you had any lingering doubts about Revelation 17, it makes it abundantly clear for us there is only one church in the entire world that sits on seven hills, and that is the church of Rome. There is an impure woman who rises to global prominence, and the Bible says she has all kinds of impure daughters or, or spinoffs, if you will. And of course, the question we should be asking right now is what happened to the pure woman? Where did she go? Well, the Bible gives us an answer. We find it in Revelation 12, verse 6. It says, Then the woman fled into, wil into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there, there for 1,260 days. How long does the woman hide in the wilderness? 1,260 days. That is exactly the same amount of time that this little harm, this beast power, controls the Western Roman Empire. It's a time, times, and half a times, 42 months, or 1,260 days. And during this time, God's people have disappeared into the wilderness. They have had to go into hiding. Bible prophecy says that there would be Two women, an impure woman on the throne of the Western Roman Empire and a pure woman who had to go into hiding. Now, I want you to notice something very important right here. Okay? There are only two, right? That's all the options that exist. There are just two. So let me ask you something else. If there are only two options according to the Bible, two different women, where did we get all the different denominations we have in the world today? Well, it happens as the church started coming out of the dark ages. Over time, God begins to wake us up and he begins us to bring us back to the clear teachings of his word. 
In the 1300s, he raises up John Wycliffe, who suddenly translates the Bible into the common language of the people, and now everyone can have access to the Word of God. In the 1400s, God raised up a brave preacher by the name of John Huss, who publicly taught that the Bible ought to be the rule of life for Christians. We can agree with that, can't we? And then in the early 1500s, we have a German monk by the name of Martin Luther, who found an amazing passage in Romans 1.17 that says, the just shall live by faith. And that's when he realized you can't buy your way into heaven because Jesus already died in your place and purchased it for you. So he nails his 95 thesis to the church door in Wittenberg and he launches a revolution of faith that is still with us to this day. In the 1600s, you have a preacher by the name of Roger Williams. He becomes convinced that people need the freedom to live life according to the dictates of their conscience. They need to be free to answer the God of their faith. And he also learns from the early English Baptists that, and he starts to baptize people the way that Jesus was baptized by immersion. And speaking of the English Baptists, they also made a remarkable discovery when they turned to the pages of their Bible in the 1600s. They discovered that the Sabbath isn't Sunday. It's the seventh day of the week. One by one, God is opening up the hearts of the dark ages and God is beginning to wake up his people. He's turning on the lights for us just a little bit at a time. In the 1700s, we have John Wesley, and he began to emphasize that it's not enough to say that Jesus is Lord. If you really believe in Jesus, then the world should be able to see it by the way you live your life. God is beginning to wake us up bit by bit. He's turning the lights on just as fast as we can handle it. But the problem is, over time, a problem begins to emerge. People begin to focus on the prominent personalities instead of the Word of God. Each time a reformer died, some of their followers failed to move forward. Okay, So the followers of Huss became the Hussites. The followers of Lutheran became the Lutherans, the followers of John Calvin, became the Calvinites. What God wanted and still wants is a complete restoration. He was pushing forward for complete unity based on Bible truths because he was getting ready for something very special. Then in the 1700s, a humble shoe cobbler by the name of William Carey suddenly launches a worldwide missionary movement. In 1802, the Bible societies were suddenly born, and the Bible went from in 62 languages to over 2,000 languages almost overnight. So you had this explosion in Bible printing, and you had this explosion in missionary work, and then suddenly all over the world for the first time in centuries people are extremely fascinated with the prophecies of daniel and revelation and that matches bible prophecy exactly 
Because in Daniel 12, verse 4, as Daniel's wrapping up, writing the book, God tells him to seal it up until the end of the time when knowledge will suddenly increase. And then in the 1800s, you had the birth of a worldwide Second Advent movement. A movement of Christians all over the planet. In fact, it started in 50 different locations around the world, separate locations. They all started preaching the soon return of Jesus Christ. And here in North America, the movement was led by a Baptist preacher by the name of William Miller. Okay, today some people make fun of him because he made a fundamental mistake. He misread uh, Bible prophecy and he put a date on the second coming of Christ. But he wasn't preaching for money. He wasn't preaching to attract attention to himself. He was trying to warn the world that Jesus was coming soon. And as the Christian church moved through the 1700s and the 1800s, those early Christian churches could see plainly that something was up because they had heard about the earthquake in, Lebanon, in Lisbon in 1755. They saw the dark day in 1780 and the unbelievable falling of the stars in 1833. They could see all the prophecies of the Bible starting to pull together and they knew something amazing was beginning to happen. Christians from almost every walk of life started meeting together to study their Bibles. And do you know what they found? If you come together with an honest heart and you read the whole book, you're going to get what Jesus always wanted. Perfect unity in the body of Christ. Out of these studies, out of an interest in Bible prophecy, a last day movement of God suddenly was born right on time, exactly as it's described in Revelation. Revelation 12, 17 says, And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. At the end of time, before Jesus comes again, the Bible says the woman comes back out of the wilderness. There is still a remnant, a group of faithful men and women who are unwilling to compromise on the word of God. They have the testimony of Jesus and they keep the commandments of God. So, of course... You and I, we want to know where can we find these people? How can we know who they are? And fortunately for us, the Bible makes it really easy. It's because it is just so clear. Here, here is this description again, and it's almost exactly the same of what we just read. Revelation 14, 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those, they that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Who are these last day people? The Bible says they keep the commandments of God, and that means all of them. Not two, not nine, all ten of them. And then it says they have the faith of Jesus, just like Noah, like Abraham, like Elijah, like Israel, and like the New Testament church. 
The Bible is absolutely clear. In the last days, God has a specific group of people who are united on Bible truths. And they keep the commandments of God and they have the faith of Jesus. In Revelation 12, it says it a little differently. It says they have the testimony of Jesus. So what does the testimony of Jesus mean? Revelation 19.10 gives us that answer. It says, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And if you compare this text with Revelation 22, you'll discover that people have always had the testimony of Jesus and that it is prophets. The Bible says again in no uncertain terms that in the last, all the gifts of the Spirit would come back, and that includes the gift of prophecy. We find it in Joel chapter 2, verse 28. It says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. One of the clear marks of God's last day remnant people is a prophetic gift shows up in the church. And of course, you've got to be really careful with that because the Bible is our only rule of faith and Jesus clearly warns us about false prophets in the last days. But this is absolutely something that you should expect among God's last day people. They keep the commandments of God and they have the testimony of Jesus. So what else do we know about them? Well, we also know, we already know they're going to be a global movement and they have a special message. How do I know that? The Bible tells us exactly what they will be speaking. We find that in Revelation 14, with, starting with verse 6. It says, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. This is a worldwide movement with a very specific message. Listen to what that message is that they share with the world. Saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. At this very moment, there is a group of Christians all over the world preaching that the judgment hour is already here and they are the only ones doing it. And by some strange coincidence, that same group is preaching, worship him who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. It's the wording of the fourth commandment. It's a call to come back and worship the God who created us the way he asked us to. And my friends, if you are able to find a group of people preaching both of these things, that would be amazing enough, but there is more. Revelation continues and says, And another angel following, saying, Babylon is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, 
if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God. So who are these people? Can you find anybody on earth today that is preaching this message right now? The answer is yes. And the description is so precise that it leaves no room for misinterpretation. This is a body of believers. This church has to be worldwide in scope, preaching to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. They have to preach that the judgment isn't coming. They're preaching that it's already here. They have to keep the commandments of God and call the world to worship God as their creator. They have to be willing to, to call the world out of Babylon, and they have to be warning the world to beware of the beast. And I challenge you to look around carefully because in all the history of planet Earth, there is only one thing that matches in every point, one movement that fits the prophetic description exactly. You can look all over the Earth and you will find only one. In the 1800s, all the prophetic signs started to fall into place. The dark ages suddenly came to a close, and something amazing happened. All of these people were studying Bible prophecies together. All of these people who agreed to toss away the traditions and only live by the teachings of their Bible, they began to form a global movement. And today, that movement is one of two unified Christian movements that have absolutely gone to the entire world. Look all over the world and you will find only two religions, two groups that cover the entire world. One of them is an exact match to Revelation 13 as the worldwide Roman Catholic Church. As we've already seen, it's the only thing that matches on every identifying point. And the other movement, it happens to be an exact match of Revelation chapter 14. Right now, it's busy taking Revelation 14's three angels' message to every country in the world. Who are they? It's the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Amen. And the Seventh-day Adventist Church is not just another denomination, not even close. It's something much more profound. Right now, it is the fastest growing denomination in America and in the world. All around the world, more than 3,000 people are joining her ranks every single day. In fact, 80% of the Seventh-day Adventist membership came from other walks of life. They were born in other denominations. The vast majority of Seventh-day Adventists did not grow up in a Seventh-day Adventist home. And right now, as remarkable as everything has been, this movement has about 80 times as many global missionaries as any other movement. It's a global movement of Christians who come from every walk of life and they are determined that they will be unified on God's word and God's word alone. 
and they happen to be keep the commandments of God and they happen to be preaching the exact message of Revelation chapter 14. My friends, there are only two global movements. And those two movements happen to be exact matches for prophecy. That is not a coincidence. One is a woman built on compromise. The other one is a woman that is built on Bible truth. One carries the message of Revelation 13, and the other one carries the message of Revelation 14. That is not a coincidence. And let me assure you, you are not here by accident. As we have been studying, you have sensed it. God has arranged for you to be here. He made it happen, and that's because he is, he's asking you to come out and to be part of God's last day remnant church. God brought you here on purpose because he saw the desires of your heart. He saw how much you wanted something more. He brought you here for this very moment. God has a worldwide plan for you, unity, a plan to finish the work and to get the world ready for Jesus to come. And right now, he is knocking on your heart. As you and I have been here at these meetings, there are thousands and thousands of people all over this planet that are hearing the exact same message. It is literally going to every nation, kindred, and tongue, and people at breakneck speed. At this moment, God is asking you to be part of it. No more divisions, no more traditions, just Bible-believing Christians working together in perfect unity to prepare the world for Jesus' soon return. This is the unity God has been waiting for, and you are the person he is asking right now. There's not a chance that you came here by accident. Revelation 18.4 says, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you may not be partakers of her sins and that you receive not of her plagues. Do you hear it? That is the voice of God. His eyes are searching the earth right now. One last time, he's looking for people with honest hearts, people willing to follow the lamb wherever he goes, people who are willing to be uncompromised. And at this moment, God is asking you. Some years ago, there was a young preacher in Zimbabwe. He went into this small town to share Jesus, and the local villagers told him that if he ever came back, they said, if you ever come back here, we will kill you. So he went home, and he started thinking about it. And the longer he thought about it, the more he realized, I cannot stop preaching Jesus. 
So he went back one more time. Sometime later, his friends found his body in the street. And as they went back to his house to pack up his personal effects, they found this letter that he had written on his desk. I want to read it for you now. He said, I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My presence is make sure. My future is secure. I am finished and done with low living, sight walking, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarf goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotion, pundits, or popularity. I don't have the right to be first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean in his presence, walk by patience, uplifted by prayer, and I labor with power. My face is set. My step is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is enough. My companions are few. My guide reliable. My mission clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not be a coward in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the enemy, pander at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up, till I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach till all know, and work till he stops me. And when he comes, when he calls for his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear. What about you? Is your banner clear? Are you going to respond to the call of Christ and become part of his last day remnant church? I know that you're not here by accident. Some of you have even prayed, Lord, where are you? How can I know more of you? How can I know that you are real? And then God answered your prayers and he brought you here. So let me ask you, how are you going to respond? Today I'm going to give you an opportunity to take your place with the last day remnant church. The Revelation 14 movement is taking the world by storm. People call it the Seventh-day Adventist church, but it's really more than just another denomination. It's a prophetic movement, the only thing that the world has that matches exactly what the Bible says we should be looking for. Heavenly Father, what an exciting time it is to see young people give their hearts to you and want to be part 
of your last day remnant church. Father, bless these young people. Keep them close to you. Be with their parents and the church as we continue to mentor them and they continue to grow in their walk with you. We know that baptism is not the final event. It's just the first step in a lifetime relationship with you. Father, there are others here that, that are in the valley of decision. Father, I don't know what they've marked on their cards, but Father, I plead with you that you will not give them any rest until they decide to join your last day remnant church because we want to see them in heaven. This is one of my last times here, Father. I don't know when we'll see each other again, but I do know that Christians never say goodbye. They just say, until the morning. So, Father, keep us all close to you so that we can be together with you in your kingdom. In your name we pray. Amen.